It is Sam Sermons. This is the What Do I Do Now podcast, and this is season two, episode 15, and we are running these right along, and this is actually one of my first requests I've had to be on the platform, and I've heard this person speak often in our radio background in regards to having our live stream and things of that nature, and I think they have a great insight and it's something that we can definitely talk about here on What Do I Do Now, so introducing Miss Tondalea Carter, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Sam? I appreciate the opportunity. I'm great. Of course, of course. And let's just give a quick background of how we know each other. Um, you are an <laughs> avid listener of Ryan Cameron Uncensored, and yes. we are on the live every single day. Yes. And, you know, you're very much so engaged in conversations mm-hmm. and very opinionated. And what you do as a realtor, <laughs> no, don't, don't act shocked and surprised now. Oh, everyone has their two cents on the RCU crew. So I definitely want to make sure I give them the love that they do when they give me. So getting to understand your career field in commercial realty, how did you get into it? Let's start from the very beginning. Oh, wow. I've been a realtor for 15 years off and on. I got my license while I worked for IBM. I worked for IBM for 12 and a half years. Um, I got my license in 2007. Perfect timing because in 2008, the market crashed and you couldn't sell anything or, you know, everything was pretty bad. But I was still at IBM, so I was comfortable. 2009, I got laid off from IBM. Reality struck, yeah. So, um, you know, I was like everybody else. Got devastated. I had rental properties, lost that, lost my personal home. You know, so after that, I went for my MBA, still held on to my real estate license because I had a really good broker who said, hey, I understand the market's not good right now. Why don't we uh, we'll let everybody keep your license? You just have to pay a very small monthly fee, very small. So I did that for a year or so. After I graduated and got my MBA, I have a friend who was in her own brokerage and I asked her, can I work with you part time until I get my footing again? And fast forward that I did pretty good there. But everybody kept asking me, can you help me with commercial property? I didn't know anything about commercial property. I was trained in residential. So I really enjoyed business. And that's what my background is and me always studying and learning business. And I said, let me figure this out. Got recruited by another firm, learned something from them, um, but came to the current agency that I'm at, which is KW Commercial. um, And I've learned a great deal. So I've actually learned how to really run my own business through this company and how my colleagues treat me. So they're always invested in your best interest. So I, uh, I've i been loving it ever since. I went full time about four years ago, which is pretty risky because real estate's 100% commission and commercial is even more challenging than residential in the sense that it, it could take us six to seven months to close a deal. So yeah, you've got to really be out there hustling. You got to have, as they say, if you're ever in sales, you always hear, hey, pipe, you know, pack your pipeline, get 50 people in your pipeline, more than likely you'll close 20 to 25 of those closings. And you want that to be consistent so you can be constant in your company and in your business for your clients. So, All right. So I want to actually back up to 2008 and then 2009, because those are some transitional years for you. So from you know, the housing market, you know, really 
going belly up at one point yeah. in time. And then, of course, the recession that followed there soon thereafter that apparently affected your job at IBM. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your mental state going from like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in a decent space and then like, mm-hmm. okay, I got my fallback. And then the fallback actually kind of goes belly up as well. So where were you at in that space? Well, I'm thinking, you know, education is the key. Let me go get my master's. I'm going to go get this MBA. I got accepted at Georgia State's executive MBA program. Two years nonstop. You know, I'm with the balls. People doing successful things. I'm like, I'm going to be all right after I get my MBA. They're going to see that I work for IBM. I'm going to hit the ground running again because I'm going to kill it. Didn't happen like that. I did graduate my MBA. I got it in the two years. And I did get recruited by a company to run their accounting department because that's what I did for IBM. I was a accounts receivable rep between sales and the clients. So I had really large clients like Publix, the grocery store, the state of Florida, um, you know, really big companies. I worked to help people sometimes on Home Depot and Coca-Cola. So I was used to that volume of work. But I'm like, somebody's going to pick me up because everybody's always impressed when they hear that I work for IBM. How did you get that job? But what I quickly learned while I was laid off and looking for work um ibm wasn't catching up with the rest of everybody else technology wise i know that would surprise people but when i say i interviewed for you and you'd ask me well how well do you know excel i knew the very basics of excel because if old school people may know ibm created lotus one two three that was excel's competition well they weren't trying to teach us excel we practically had to riot for them to even give us access to to pay for the license to give us access to Excel because our clients were sending us spreadsheets. We were responsible for IBM. You know, they had the POS system. Companies were renting and leasing their computers. So those came on huge spreadsheets. This wasn't one or two computers. And so they sent us their inventory. We couldn't open them because we didn't have access to Excel. Because we were IBM. We created the first personal computer. We got Lotus 1, 2, 3, but nobody was buying into Lotus 1, 2, 3. So when I got to the real world and I'm in my suit, I'm dressed. Hey, I'm educated. I've worked corporate America. Y'all gonna hire me. They asked me to do certain software. It was like somebody spoke Japanese. I felt like I was maybe a 50 year old woman trying to get back in a workspace, but never touched a computer. Even though I knew I had, I took a lot of tech classes at IBM because I like classes, but it didn't compare to what the rest of the world was. And IBM didn't buy into it and didn't bring it into the office. So I didn't, we couldn't compete. And that was very hard. I couldn't compete with some of the people out there who didn't work for the company. So that was a challenge. That was a, a really smack in the face. And I said, you know what? I really want to go do something I want to do. And I always enjoyed real estate. I'm originally from Chicago. And, uh, you know, 15, 16 year old in Chicago, we got bus and train services. In Chicago, we can go all over the city. You don't need mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy telling you to get on the bus and figure it out. So I've been used to driving, you know, riding the trains and buses since I was a kid. Well, most kids are probably hanging out at Lake Michigan. Me, I'm pretty much of an introvert. People will find it hard to believe, but it's pretty true. (laughs) And I would go on my own and go downtown Chicago and the Gold Coast and walk around downtown Chicago and look at these buildings and just for hours and be marveled and be like, wow. What did they do to build this building? But I didn't have any mentorship. I didn't have anybody to go to. I didn't even know, Sam, that you can make money selling real estate. My family didn't own a house. My mom never wanted one. Mm. My grandmother had a townhouse in Chicago, but 
it just wasn't something we really talked about. I had other family members that owned houses, but I didn't know any real estate agents. I didn't know anybody doing anything commercial. So I just knew to study business. And when I got my degree from Chicago State University, literally the day after I graduated, I was on my way to a car to Georgia because my brother was stationed at Fort Benning. We we're extremely close. I made we made a pack. I'm the baby sister. Wherever he went, I was going to end up. And that's how I ended up in Atlanta. So um, it, it I still, you know, was thinking I'm doing the right path because I come from that generation. Get your education. That's what's going to get you successful. You're going to be all right. You're going to give it a company and stay for 30 years. You know, I come from that generation, but I had no clue about real estate. And then I got lucky enough to move to Atlanta from Columbus. I only stayed in Columbus 90 days because there was no jobs there anyway. <laughs> Nothing. But I came to Atlanta first week here. I had six different job interviews, um, but they were starting to build. And then the following year, um, the Olympics happened. And this place just blew up. Oh, yeah. 96 is a great year for yeah. Atlanta. So I got to see all kind of stuff. And that's probably why I know the city so well. I take, I've had people pay me to take them on tours of what used to be where <laughs> in Atlanta and what's happening and what's changing and what's coming. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a challenge. I learned something because just because you work for this great company that created something, that great company didn't invest in computers as they should. Yeah. Understood. So going back to your mother wasn't interested in owning a home. That's not mm -hmm. something that you readily saw at home. And now that's what you do. You're making sure you're putting, you know, business owners in their quote unquote business home. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you to try, like as your first sale, like, okay, I've got my license. I'm, you know, I've been practicing, but now like I'm in the business side of it where I'm trying to find someone mm -hmm. like trying to give them their home, their hub, for their business. What was right. that like for you the first time? Like you were trying to, you know, force that pipeline and you're just trying to get somebody, trying to get that first sale because that first <laughs> one is just the one that's, okay, are we going to do it? Are you going to be free of the sign? Are we going to close it? You know, how was that for you? Well, I'll give you two stories real quick. My first okay. commercial listing was $4 million. It was a church. I thought I made it. I couldn't believe it. And what it was, I networked a lot and I had a friend, she was in mortgage and her brother ran this church. And he said, he said, oh, I heard you're a real estate agent. Don't you come by, I want to talk to you. You know, such and such wants to sell a church. I will leave names out, wants to sell the church. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. I said, I've never sold a church before. I mean, I've used to done houses, I've done houses, but I didn't know churches. He was just like, well, the church is paid for. It's not going to be hard, whatever. He said, I trust you. We can go ahead and get this done because it'll sell, which I knew it would sell. Keep that thought in your head. So I went to my broker and told her, look what I was able to. Somebody referred me to. He believed in me. What do you think? She said, look, I got a mentor for you. So because she didn't do commercial at all either. Commercial and residential are two different animals. Please, y'all believe that. So she said, but I've got somebody who will guide you through it. Let's do it. I love to learn. I said, let's do it. And this church was quality. It was huge. It was worth the $4 million. So uh, fast forward, within 30 days of me listing that property, I had an offer. I was patting myself on my back. I was like, you know, I did it. I, I could sell buildings. It was a school in, it, in that area of town that wanted to grow. So they need a bigger space. It was a, like a private alternative type of school. 
And what we found out is that they wouldn't be able to get a permit fast forwarding. Oh, let me, I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Uh, the offer that came with was less than the $4 million, but it was only okay. less by a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Okay. The gentleman who owned the church wanted $4 million, period. So I went back and they said, fine, we'll give you the $4 million. Fast forward, trying to find out about changing a permit from a church to a school, what would the process be? Bug in our ear told us, and his ear, because he came and told me, the guy who's buying it, he said, look, I'm not going to be able to buy it because that city will not allow a school right here because it would interfere with the, it was a really nice daycare across the street. But these kids weren't the same age. Let's just say politics played and just played in that one. Didn't want to compete against the mayor's wife. Yeah, boy, I got conversation. And I was like, wow. So we lost that. So we did get interest. We showed it quite a bit of times. But that following year, we just still never got anybody who came through with what they wanted. We had somebody who wanted to turn it into a lab and they just didn't follow through with the contract and things like that. So we decided to part ways. Uh, they ended up getting someone else. It sells in nine months. And I will tell you this, even the gentleman who hired me to sell the church was kind of not happy with the person who owned it and said, dude, you said you wanted to sell the church. She brought you a buyer. What are we doing? Let's get this done. Because they needed to use that money to, to help the rest of their business. Because it was the only asset they had that was completely debt-free. But it didn't happen. So I was like, wow. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to totally blame myself for that because it really wasn't. It's not anybody's fault. That's just business. And I had to learn that. But I also said, I want to learn more. I said, because that process was a long time. Um, and I wanted to learn more. So that's how I ended up going to that other company. My other one, my first one that really did score was a young lady who had a great mentor, which was her father, who was an entrepreneur. And he is that his business is in the DC, Virginia area. She went to Spelman. She's always wanted to do hair. Her dad said, You want to do hair? You can't do that till you get me a degree. So she ended up at Spelman. She got a degree in economics. Smart girl. So then she, after she graduated, she hit the ground running. She went to hair school. So she wanted to own her own spot. So dad was cool with that. He told her, this is the first thing you need to do. You need to get a realtor. Somehow she find me. I don't remember how she found me. And we met at my office I was at at the time. And I talked to her and I was trying to figure out where she was going with it. Because we have to really interview people to see where are you at. A lot of people see a business and think, I can do that. Let me call a realtor now or not. And it doesn't work that way. If you don't understand how business works, it's just really not that easy. So I kind of analyzed her. I said, if you're really serious about this, this is the homework I have for you. And I kept that concept of homework. And we'll talk, I'm sure we'll run into that conversation later. But I gave her homework. I said, finish that business plan that you have. You're not ready to open up something for the next nine months. So let's get together January of the following year. I said, I'm here to answer any questions. If you see something, let me know. I said, but right now you're just not ready, but you can be. I need you to have money for A. I need you to have money for B. And I said, I'm always here. My number hasn't changed since cell phones came out, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I've had the same cell phone for years. And I said, hey, I'll always be here. Give me a call. She was all happy. She loved it. 
Do you know that she actually called me five months later because she was ready quicker than she thought? I didn't expect her to call back. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you you just don't expect because some people aren't ready. They just feel like, okay, I'll just find someone else. No, she really stuck to me. I actually just went to her wedding two months ago. Weird. I'm like family to her family. Yeah, she's got two kids. Everything, man. This is, well, I love my my uh, first client to death. Her family really opened me and welcomed me in open arms when she was pregnant. I showed her three spaces. Her dad was with her, and I tried not to be nervous because her dad's this big entrepreneur. And uh, her dad told her that I was it. She was like, yeah, you got a good one. She knows exactly what he said. You're showing her exactly what she needs. And so with her dad giving me the appraisal <laughs> that I did all right, um, she picked one of the three spaces, actually. She was open for about three, four years. She started a family, so she wanted to be a mom. So she just closed the business, which she did with the right, how people should close the business when the lease ends. And okay. she now is living her life with her two young children. But she was my first, but I actually got an extra family out of it. I've been to her dad's office in D.C. because my brother lived up there. And so me and my brother came and met him because I told him I was coming in town. He said, oh, yeah, you and your brother come by. And we hung out with him. And first, I mean, second time I'm meeting this guy, they treat me like family. So I'm like a little piece of their family. And uh, that's one of the best deals that I've done. And I was proud because I wanted to see her accomplish her dream. But if you're willing to, if you really want to open something, I'm there for the ride. It's it's not, believe it or not, I'm going to say it. It's not always about the money. To me, it's about seeing somebody grow because guess what? The money's going to come. If you look at every client you have with a dollar bill, you're not going to keep making money because the rest are just flow. So I, I really love what I do. It's, it's, I've done jobs in between because commercial takes a minute to get paid, but I don't care. I'm, I'm willing to hustle and do what I got to do as long as it's legal to keep doing commercial real estate. So those are my two favorite stories. All right. So going into the difference between residential and commercial realtor, um, as someone that doesn't own a home yet, as someone mm -hmm. that at one point in time aspires to, you know, be a homeowner, but eventually maybe I want to open my own studio. So I'm going to need a commercial realtor to help me find a space mm -hmm. to start that studio. Um, what would be something you would tell not just me, but, anyone that's just like on the ground floor like you know what i think i'm ready to buy a house i think i'm ready to buy a home my for my a home for my first business so the house thing since i really don't do them anymore but i can tell anybody what they have to do to be a house the house in highlight i'm going to say always save for a down payment i tell my clients when i used to sell houses i would tell them i want you to open up a couple additional accounts because people don't realize you can open up as many accounts you want in a bank nobody's going to stop you one account should be your savings for a down payment on a house. If you can afford and have the patience, do 20%. Don't, I mean, if you can do 3%, great. I know the interest rates are low, but the more that you're able to put down on a house, the quicker you can pay it off. That's the concept I always have. Um, and your credit score needs to be good. Now, your credit score needs to be good for, for residential and commercial. People don't realize that. People are thinking, oh, I'm opening a business. They'll go buy my business credit. But if you've never opened a business before, guess what you don't have? You don't have business credit. So you can't use that. Your first business, they're going to look at your personal credit. So make sure you've got that in order. That is so key because that will take you out of the running instantly. Because if they don't think you can financially handle it, 
they're not going to let you in the door. So for you, for studios, and I'm going to kind of educate you because Atlanta, we have become the Hollywood of the South, as we know. You know, hip hop is here. Everybody know music is made here daily. I mean, mm -hmm. I can drive people around and show us in studios that they don't know their studios. So I have to let people know that when you're opening a business, period, you need a business plan. I don't care what the business is. A business plan is key. And the business plan is going to, the business plan is not only for you, it's for the landlord and it's for the bank. And I'm not saying that you'll go have to run and take out a loan to get a space to lease. But as you grow as a business, a business plan helps the bank see where you're going and if you know what direction to go and what your projections are. And the landlord likes it because, okay, they'll start giving you points because, okay, they got a business plan. That means they're serious. Some people I get all the time don't have a business plan at all. And when I tell them they need one, oh, I'll do one over the weekend. Do, getting a business plan done over the weekend is not possible. If you think getting a business plan done over the weekend, that's just like me saying, oh, I'll have a baby by Wednesday. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. It is not going to happen. It's such a detailed process. And there are organizations out there that help you write a business plan. There's websites. Go to YouTube University, but do what you need to do to position yourself for success. So a business plan is great. Good credit. Your financials need to be in, I mean, in place. So it's not only your financials of, oh, I can afford to give you first and next month's rent. It's so much more than that. Your financials can be from $20,000 to $100,000 or more. And the reason why I say that is because it depends on the space that you get. Do you need to be a build out? Do a build out. Did you get lucky and there's a building that used to be an office space, but it doesn't have soundproof rooms? It doesn't have the individual rooms where the producers sit and maybe the person that's going to sing is going to sit or, the, you know, it might be big enough for you to have a whole band in there. Who knows? Maybe live music will come back. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> but you need to include that cost in your money because you need to know that no matter what you look at, that you can afford to move forward with your plan. It's very rare that I'm going to find a space that's already a studio. Now, I know of one in Atlanta that's for sale, but you got about six or seven million dollars. We can go after the podcast and go check it out. It's already equipped, ready to go. But a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people want to start small, maybe 2,000, 3,000 square feet, design it, get separate rooms done. Oh, you want to do separate rooms? Oh, you need to put up walls and more electricity? Guess what that requires? Permit. Guess where that permit starts at? You need an architect. An architect has to design what you want to do to that space. You have to give the city a copy of those architectural designs to get permit approval. You don't get permits by just walking into the, the county or the city hall and say, hey, I want to put up four walls, three doors, and additional electricity. It doesn't work that way. So everything I'm mentioning you costs money. And you have to be able to be prepared to cover that. Because when a landlord looks at your financials, if you've never been in business before, they want to see a bank account. And you just give them the first page because they're just going to see that you got a million dollars. You spent 20000 Now you're down to 980000 They just need to see that first page. They necessarily are not interested in everything that you've done in, in, before you got there. They want to see that you've got the money. That makes them more comfortable that you can afford to pay your staff, that you can afford to pay them rent, and that you can afford to build out. 
Now, when you do a build out and that's something that has to be done, it's negotiated and at least that you'll get five or six months of free rent. During that time frame is when you build out the space is when you get your permits is when you guys hit the ground running. And I stay on my clients. I don't play because I let them know, no, let's get the architect in here before we finish signing stuff. If the guy, if the, it depends on the landlord, if the landlord will let us come back before he signs the lease. That's fine. And that way we can get the architect in there and he can, you know, get an idea of what the space is going to look like and what he's going to design so he can get that running because permits can take a while and COVID's is taking even longer. So you need to utilize that five and six months time wisely and you need to be ready to go. There is no, oh, I'll wait till my next paycheck. Nobody's going to let you lease a space with that. You got to remember the landlord is not some rich man sitting on a hill. That's just like, oh, I decided to own a building and I don't want any money for it. He's got responsibilities to the bank. Don't be fooled that all these big, beautiful buildings that are going up and these great strip malls that we have and mixed use communities don't have debt on them. That's why they charge a certain amount for the lease. So the bank tells them, we're going to give you $50 million to build this mixed use that's going to have apartments, condos, all this other great stuff. But you have to rent the spaces at this amount if it's this size on on and on in order to meet the loan and a lot of people don't think that they just think oh the landlord's being greedy no the landlord's got responsibility and the minimum lease now in georgia is three years five years will make them even happy there's nobody really giving you a one-year lease and if they are they're an individually owned space and the building is not well taken care of. The roof is leaking. You can't get the landlord to answer the phone. Does anybody get the hint of why you don't want to do a one-year lease? And a one-year lease, nobody's making any money either. So you have to think that we're all in business together. So let's be considerate that I'm going to approach this like a business deal. This man or woman, whoever, their landlord rep doesn't owe me anything. But if you come prepared and ready to go, and show them everything that they asked for within a reasonable time, because time is of the essence, they will pay more attention to you. I have gotten plenty of calls from people to say, yo, can you help me get this space lease or help me buy a building? I've been calling a number, but nobody will call me back. I call them in their face and in two minutes, I got a whole conversation going. And they're looking at me like, why won't they call me back? Because you're not a realtor. And they don't think you're serious. We get so many calls from people that's just like, yeah, I'm on a corner of blue and green. How much does building cost? Blue and green where? What's the address, man? You're not sounding professional. I'm just going to say it. As black people, we're judged. We're used to aligning. They're not going to align. Let's just have a real conversation. So if you come correct, trust me, they're going to come back. Because I tell my clients all the time, give me all the information I need for you because I got to sell you for us to get to this door. I'm not joking with you. I tell, and I like to make my clients laugh, so I don't know if you're going to keep this in, but I tell my clients, I got to dance on the pole for you to get you through this door. I need to know all your business. And, and I have to sell them. And I have to sell, especially if you're new. Now, I've gotten lucky. My business is really picking up, and I got some great clients. I can't share names. A couple of them coming out of Miami, got some well-known spots out of there. I'm trying to get them into some new places that's being built so they can be the anchor restaurant. Well, I got videos of them, Instagram. I sent it to a few people that I know will do big deals. They're like, when we can we have another conference call? When, when can they do a Zoom meeting? 
they're all for the conversation because that's what they're looking for. Somebody who has experience. I don't want to knock down the people who don't have the experience. I'm here to teach you what you need to do to get in that door. Because if you came to me and said T, and everybody calls me T, so if anybody knows, my nickname is T. But if you came to me and say, T, I'm ready to open up my second studio, the key word is second. We could move quicker on something than we could if we were just starting to look because they see mm. that you've got experience. Now, unfortunately, Atlanta has had some incidents where people have gotten hurt, possibly murdered in front of the studios. And now the landlords don't want a lot of people there. They're refusing to lease them. They'll even put it in a listing, private remarks to realtors, no hair salons, no barbershops, and no studios. Yeah. That's not surprising. Yeah, because of the crime. It's been times I couldn't help people find studio space because of that. They don't want to. They's like, no, we don't want it. Yeah. If you go back and check the news and think about some things, that really hurt a lot of people. I've got some people I'm working with now. I'm trying to find a space. And even they will tell you that I'm not wrong. He said, I've gone into the room and tried to tell them. And they're like, nope, they don't, they don't want to hear it. And they're like, wow. And they're like, but we just want to film something. It's yeah. So it can be a challenge, but I'm very good at preparing my clients. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm getting more and more experienced business people, but I work with a lot of entrepreneurs because I don't want to turn them away. And I think of alternatives. So let's bring an example that everybody knows, which is Pinky Cole, right? Slutty mm -hmm. vegan. She was keeping her food truck up the street from where I lived at. And I used to see it all the time. I was like, what is a slutty vegan? I didn't know what the hype was at the time. I'm not going to lie. So I looked her up on Instagram and I started seeing all the people following her and all these long lines. And I was like, oh, man, that girl ready for a restaurant. I DM'd her. I ain't gonna lie, I slid in the DMs. <laughs> and I said, Pinky, you ready for a restaurant? I'd be happy to help you. You know, gave a little brief about me. She said, Oh, sis, you're just a little too late. I just hired me a commercial realtor. So I said, Okay, next time, don't wait so long. That was my fault. But the her building herself up before she got to a retail space made it easier for her to get a retail space. Because anybody, believe it or not, landlord reps nowadays ask me for your business plan whether they have good credit financials and what's their social media mm. and your website you could just have an instagram which you do but you can have an instagram of just you working with people in the industry maybe you're producing and you're maybe doing some songs with them and they're really famous mm -hmm. it'll be easier to get you into a space just think about it. If you go to Pinky's, when she started, her Instagram had Snoop Dogg in it. It had Neo. It had all the local personal uh, personalities here from the news people. You know what I'm saying? So Jermaine, Dupri everybody was on her Instagram talking about, mm, this is fabulous. Catapulted. The girl's a multimillionaire now. So, yes, you see, the, you see how the formal is working now in the business? Having that social media presence is great. So I have had, because Pinky was working out of a prep kitchen over here off of uh, Prep ATL. They've got a couple of locations. So that's how she grew. And a lot of restaurants are over there, and that's how they grow. So when I get somebody who wants a restaurant, but they're really not financially ready, but they still want to work on their business, maybe they got a food truck, maybe they're catering, 
whatever it is, I've taken people to prep ATL. Or I've taken, told them, you maybe you need to look into a ghost kitchen and get your name out there, get your product out there. And that's going to grow your Instagram. That's going to grow your knowledge of business. This is going to grow your following. So when you open a restaurant, it's going to be mad busy. And they're like, oh my gosh, because I'm not mad that I couldn't get a make payment off of them or get some type of commission. No, let me give you some direction. I'll show you where to go. I'll be here. And a lot of my clients will come back to me because of that. I just helped somebody else get in the um, prep ATL. Guy I couldn't help before, he called me T. I need a space. I said, are you looking for Ghost Kitchen? I got connection at prep ATL. And he was like, let's do it. He's now moved in October 15th. So you tell me what you need. You've been me amazed at who I know and what I can get in, but I need my clients to work with me because I'm out there working for them. Got you. That was very insightful. Um, I definitely want to bring up something that I know that a lot of people have benefited from. I know that a lot of people actually look for foreclosures. Mm. What is how or how is that navigated now? especially in the pandemic, because I know a lot of people like, you know, hey, I, I get, just give up the house, take the L. And some people are like, I'm not going to take the L. I got to, you know, I'm, I'm going to go down with the shit. But, you know, there's people that squat. There's so many different avenues you can go about it. But one of one of my most favorite ones that I love bringing people to when they come to Atlanta is like, I drive them past the Holyfield State that Rick Ross now lives in. Now, it's valued at $100 million in his heyday. And it cost a million dollars just to keep up the grounds. But Rick Ross did not pay $100 million for that you house know he because did it sat so long. Yes. So, you know, the property value decreased and things like that. And mm -hmm. he's in it now making so much money off it now. But, of course, I believe that house went into foreclosure. And that's how we was able to get it. So explain that process for my listening audience. Like, what is foreclosure? How can, is there a benefit to it versus, you know, just finding a house outright and, you know, going the realtor route or, you advising to stay away from it. Let's just talk about it. Well, with foreclosure, I'm not an expert. I will say that because you do have realtors that just what they concentrated in in 2008 and 10, 11 and up um, to the market stabilized as far as housing. But foreclosure basically is when the bank is calling the loan that you agreed on. When you, when you bought that house, there was a promissory note that you signed. I promised to pay for this house monthly. Till the end of time, which is 30 years, <laughs> but you defaulted because life happened, as we all know, because nobody was immune to being losing homes. I don't care what your education level is, what you made. Everybody was affected. So when you default on your loan, it goes into foreclosure. Now, the thing that's different now is the market's so hot. Nothing has gone into foreclosure that I'm aware of. You could tell me right now, T, I got a house over here. I don't know. Over here in Alpharetta, 4,000 square feet, but we about to lose it. Can you sell it? Yeah, meet me at the closing table by November 10th, because by the time I put it on the market today, you'll have a contract by Monday. You probably oh. have 30 showings by then. So it doesn't have a time to sit on the market and go through what we went through over 10 years ago. Because the market in Atlanta is just that hot. I don't sell houses anymore. I have a one client. Right now I'm selling his house because he's a long-term client. He won't let anybody else sell it. we got a really great friendship. 
I put his house on the market Labor Day. I had three showings five minutes after I pressed live in our system. Before Wednesday hit, we had over 25 showings. Yeah. So by Friday, we were under contract. Yes. That's that why. That's how quick. Wow. Like, quick. So when you say you want to get a house right now in this hot market, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. You need to come with some cash. That's what's winning. I'm not even going to lie. People are losing out. V vet veterans are having a hard time buying homes. And it's not because a veteran is a bad person. You're getting these offers, multiple. And one of them says, we'll give you $300,000 cash for your home. Who are you going with? They're going with the cash nine times out of 10. Or they're going to go with the conventional loan, which is the next step down from cash. Because conventional loans are a really good loan. That means a person's put down like 20-something percent on the loan. And they've got money and it's more favorable. Then you got the FHA loans and then the VA loans, to be honest. I hate to say that they're all in that order because I've seen the boards that we have on Facebook with different realtors. And they're like, how are you guys getting your VA people houses? I can't get them anything. Nobody will accept their offers because they don't have to put down as much as everybody else. They're, in some people's mind, they want something that's stronger. They want the down payment. The earnest money is higher. Use Back in the day, you could tell somebody, oh, you can give $1,000 earnest money. That ain't no big deal. When I bought my first townhouse in 2000, I put $500 down. Now I'm seeing earnest money is $10,000, $15,000. They don't want the owners to give them any money towards a house. Just take, you know, they're really making the, the deal sweeter now to buy houses. And it's good for some and bad for others because some people, they're just really trying to get their first home. And maybe they want a better neighborhood for their kid. And they don't have twenty fifteen thousand dollars that they can raise it to to compete. They may see a house for three hundred, and the next person who came in behind them about to offer three thirty. Well, they can't compete with that. So it's it's a bit challenging out there in the world, from what I've seen. Um, and if I've had people text me at, at night when I had that house on the market, hey, is it still on the market? I said, excuse me, it's after midnight. <laughs> and I'm not joking, Sam. Could you have not waited until Monday? I had people no, call me at 7 30 no. in the morning and say, Hey, I sent you a showing time request, which is a software that's used in the real estate industry to set up showings of people's homes. Okay. And you can mm -hmm. just press yes or no and, and schedule times. I've sent you a showing time request 10 minutes ago and I didn't get a response. And I looked at my phone. It's 7.30 in the morning. I don't know what you do, but I don't roll over and touch my computer. <laughs> when I get to the office is when I will push the button. Oh, well, we want to see it at 10.30. That's three time. hours no, from no. now. First off, McDonald's is seven breakfast, so I'm going <laughs> to need you to relax. 10.30 is 10.30, and it is 7.30 right now. I've got time. I've got time, and you will get in. I promise you. So it's it's definitely been something interesting. Um, but Atlanta right now is also different than a lot of markets. I tell people what you see on ABC News or NBC Nightly, don't put Atlanta in that conversation because we are fire hot. Not only is the housing market hot, the commercial industry is burning hot. I've had a guy call me one day. Hey, I got, and this is a real conversation. That's why I want to be in them rooms. I got $3.2 million I need to get rid of. 
I need a investment property. Can you help me find it? Everything that I thought I could find him and that met the criteria that he set forth was already under contract by the time I got to him. Because a lot of people are trying to secure their money. That's how they kind of avoid taxes a little bit. I can't go too deep into that because I'm not an expert. But uh, yeah. So they wanted to move some money around. $3.2 million cash. And I still couldn't find you anything. Yeah. I got, I got, you know, there's competition out there. Atlanta's a hot market. And I'll teach you one of the number one reasons why people don't know Atlanta's a hot market for in the multifamily, which is apartments for people who don't know what multifamily is. Multifamily mm -hmm. is apartments, 10 units and up. I call the other ones duplexes and stuff, but multifamily, we're talking 200 apartments, 150. Mm -hmm. Why investors are willing to invest in those in the state of Georgia because we're the one of the states that can kick people out quickly. Ah. We can evict people within in 30 days. The 10th of every month at every apartment complex in the state of Georgia, if you haven't paid rent by the 10th, the eviction notice will start getting on your door. And they're giving you, depending on the contract, three to five days to come up with that money. Mm -hmm. Now, I do realize that in the state of Georgia, you can't be evicted by just the manager of that complex, the county has to admit it's, it's the rule. So if you've ever been somewhere and you see in DeKalb County, Cobb County in an apartment complex, more than likely somebody's getting evicted because they have to be there for the eviction because there are rules that have got to be followed. Mm. But they can kick somebody out within 30 days. Now, sometimes it'll take more than 30 days because the county is backed up with evictions. So they can't get to you right away. That was the one thing about when the market crashed in 2009 and 10, that some people were able to stay in their homes for a year or two years and couldn't pay because the county couldn't get to them to evict them. So they stayed there until somebody said, uh, excuse me. <laughs> now it's time to go. Now you got to go. So that's why investors like investing in Georgia and in our multifamily because of that reason. We can get you out sooner, turn that apartment over and bring Sam and his family in next. Who's paying rent next? Hello over here. And it that's the number one reason. 40% of Georgia's real estate is owned by investors who don't live in the state or don't live in this country. Wow. That's, that's another reason why we got crazy the shortage. Thing. We got the shortage. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard it, heard about it, but there are organizations now, and they're, I don't know if they have a REIT doing this, but a REIT is a real estate investment trust. I will just say that it's a group of investors. These group of investors have pulled their money together. They're not only buying houses, they're buying a whole subdivision before it's finished being built. They got deep pockets, and they've done it in Gwinnett. I think they got two of them in Gwinnett that they've done. So that's another reason why there's house shortage. I'm not even allowed to buy a house because you just bought the whole subdivision. It might be 50 houses, might be 100. So where can I fit in to put my family when you're about to turn this whole place into rental? A lot of us aren't happy about that because that cuts us out, but it cuts people out for living the American dream of owning a home. They are buying the whole subdivision, man. And this is these are brand new subdivisions. These aren't old ones. No, brand new. Sam's Construction Company is building it. Y'all say, let me come talk to you. I got 50 million. Let me get that. 
And they All right, so with that information, I got to ask, is the idea of being a homeowner, like, is it in, like, almost a night tear because of all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes? You don't even have time to get the home? Or is it just like, all right, everyone's just kind of drowsy right now because, you know, there's a shift going on right now. Like, where do you see it personally? I see it slowing down a little, but I also know there's still people out there looking. I think maybe some of the homes that's out there may financially be out of their reach. It's not in a neighborhood that they want to be in or they don't want to live on that side of town. So they're stuck going back to an apartment. Um, I do not expect, I would be shocked if we had another 2008-9. People think we're going to have a big crash like that. That's not going to happen. We got too many people buying like I, what I just told you, they're buying apartment complexes. So somebody's not broke. Like me, I got a couple a client that's buying a couple of buildings. And I'm going to talk about a little bitty building. I can't tell you the dollar amounts, but they're pretty big. And if he's able to do that by himself, then somebody's got the money. Everybody, unfortunately, Georgia does have the largest gap between a have and a have nots. And people are shocked by how people are afford to do some of these things. And I'll give you a quick highlight of how they are. It's called investing the money that they make. There are different ways that people are making money. Everybody mm -hmm. isn't going to school and becoming a lawyer and a doctor. They're making money off of, if your podcast gets banana crazy, you're going to start getting endorsements. You know, I might look up and you hanging out with Joe Rogan because y'all done did a podcast together. We ain't going to be able to find you, Sam. <laughs> To your from your mouth to God's ears, we are gonna claim that right now. Okay, but those things can make you rich. You can be a millionaire off of these endorsements and the growing and your name getting out there and CNN wants you on the business special because you've gotten you know some people on your show and what did they think about this? That's getting your name out there. So there's other ways that people are making money um, to and growing their business, and people are starting to find out that real estate really is the key to getting success and finances. Just think when Jeff Bezos and his wife divorced, one of the biggest assets they divorced with was real estate. They own thousands and hundreds of thousands of land. And he had to share it with his wife, of course, because she'd been there since day one. So no comments from peanut gallery. She didn't just show up. She was there from day one. So real estate is the key to a lot of financial success. Another step is this thing called a ground lease. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of Buckhead sits on ground lease. And I'll explain what a ground lease is. You own land. You got 10 acres. It's sitting in a prime spot. Hilton Hotel calls you and say, we'd like to build a hotel right on the corner of, you know, Sam and Sermon Lane. Are you willing to let us lease the land? Which means you still own the land, but Hilton for the next forever it's going to pay you, your family, your grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, a monthly lease or an annual lease, whatever is negotiated. So hypothetically, let's just say, hypothetically, you get $20,000 a month because Hilton Hotel then built a 20-story hotel on your property. Is that hotel going anywhere? No, That's forever money. That's mailbox money. I like to call it Kennedy money. Those are the people that are able to be silly rich because I know we talked about Holyfield, Holyfield's home, but there's some crazy homes north of Atlanta that I can show you 
heck, in Brookhaven, that I'm going, whoa, where did this come from? And a lot of the wealth can come from real estate, but ground leases could set your family up for life. I had a co-worker, him and his friend owned a small half acre of land and Bank of America came calling and, and East Cobb and say, hey, we'd like to build a Bank of America on your property. Are you willing to sell it or do you want to do a ground lease? And they said, yeah, we're only going to do a ground lease. Bank of America's going to be there for what? 30, 40 years? Mm -hmm. Minimum. Exactly. So people, and I tell, when I meet people that say, oh, I own 20 rental properties. Well, that's nothing wrong with that. That's great. Then I get put something else in their ear. Why don't you sell about 10 of them? Especially if you own them outright. Maybe you get a couple of million. Now turn around and put that into a commercial property. Because a commercial property that you own, the leases are stronger. Remember back in early in the conversation, I said a lease is a minimum of three to five years. Mm -hmm. And if you can get a corporate lease that we call like a Dunkin' Donuts, a Krispy Kreme, Power Publix, that wants to put their grocery store in that strip mall that you own, once again, Publix ain't going nowhere. That's a better investment that you don't have to turn around and flip the house because maybe you had to evict somebody or maybe you got to replace the carpet because they didn't believe in not drinking in the middle, you know, all in the bedroom or whatever it was. That's money you got to spend every year. But if somebody's mm -hmm. got a solid lease and Publix is there, I don't have to do much of anything. I'm sure there's some small agreements, but believe me, when corporate leases come in, they take care of the majority of the responsibility of that building and that property, just depending on the size. That's the kind of money that you want to get. So how about, yeah, it was great. I had that experience of selling a house. How about taking it and turning it and buying a commercial property? That'll give you more longevity and a larger investment. Just a thought. Wow. That's mind blown. There's so many jewels being dropped right now. Um, how can they get in contact with you? If someone was even one that like, you know what? I'm thinking about going into commercial realty. How can they get a hold of you? Well, um, my name's Tondalea Carter, and I'll spell my first name. It's T as in Tom, O-N-D as in David, A-L-E-Y-A at kwcommercial.com. You can find me on Instagram, and my website is commercialrealtortc.com, or Instagram, just commercialrealtortc. You're welcome to DM me, and we can communicate from there. Majority of my business, Sam, is all from referrals. I get them from other agents, whether they work within Keller Williams or not. I don't discriminate because I'm going to share my commission with you because I'm respectful. I wouldn't have had this without you. If you call me and say, yo, T, we got somebody who need 20,000 square foot office. I appreciate it. I can't pay you because you're not a realtor, but I'd appreciate your referral if you did it. But I'm just saying I can't pay everybody. So let me correct that. You must be a realtor in order for me to share my commission with you. Gosh. And a licensed realtor that's valid. So that's the way people can get in touch with me. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook. You can even find me my name on Facebook. I've been on there for a while. Um, but do know that I don't just work with everyone. I'm going to pre-approve you. I'm going to make sure that you're ready. And if you're not ready, I'm going to send you back and say, do these things. I'm not going anywhere. And if you're serious, I'll be here to help. Because I love working with entrepreneurs. <laughs> Thank you again for joining me on the podcast. Mm -hmm. I appreciate all the insight and the jewels that you've given me and my listenership. And now in 12 countries. Yes. To New Zealand. All Thank right. you very much for, for joining us. And uh, we will be back next Monday with another episode of What Do I Do Now?